0: Hi everyone, this is Zubair from International Morocco and today I'll be talking with uh, Ryan Maymoon. and Ryan Maymoon is an American business consultant. So welcome, thank you. Uh, I'll let you give us background about you. So
1: I've been working in supply chain, logistics, e-commerce, business consulting for about 15 years. Uh, Mostly in the United States. I lived in California, Virginia near Washington DC. In 2017, my family and I moved to France. We did some research on business there, uh, practiced our French a little bit. Uh, after a while, we realized that uh, France is not the place we wanted to start a business. It's not where I wanted to run my online business. So we looked around the region at various places that uh, were friendly to business. Uh, That spoke French and English and we decided on Morocco and we've been living here for about two
0: years So let's begin by drawing a picture of Morocco's economy So Morocco's GDP last year was at 19 billion dollars GDP is the gross domestic product which is the market value for all goods and services in a specific uh, time period And the GDP per capita which is the GDP divided on the population is about 3,400 dollars uh, Morocco's population is 35 million. The economy is comprised of three main sectors. Uh, the service sector, which contributes to the economy by 50%, and the industrial sector, which contributes by 25%, and the agricultural sector, it contributes by 12%. The growth rate in Morocco was about 2.66% last year, and is expected to increase to 369 this year, and to 414 next year the world bank explains in its overview about morocco's economy that this growth is because there is an increase in secondary and tertiary activities and you know morocco is expecting a large flow of foreign direct investment especially in the automotive industry the inflation rate is about 0.65 and is expected to increase when 20 21 and 2024 to 2%. And employment has decreased very slowly from 9.7 in 2014 to 9.2 this year. By looking at the economic situation, uh, you know, the situation is not that bleak. It's not as bleak as a lot of people, Moroccans say. And, you know, like I said, I have a, a lot of. Uh, expanding in my circle of contacts, and they're all very optimistic about the situation uh, or the future of Morocco in terms of economy. So, why do you think Moroccans, uh, you know, are not that happy about the future or not optimistic
1: about the future? I think they might not be optimistic because it can be hard to get a job here. It can also be hard to start a business. But what I will tell people is that there are difficulties all around the world. If you go to the United States for example you may find it easier to get a job but the cost of living is dramatically higher so you may hear about friends or relatives that have jobs in the United States or in Europe and they're getting salaries that in Morocco would be you'd be very rich the problem with that analysis is that the cost of living there is dramatically higher it's not taking into consideration right there there are two ways of getting rich either you make a lot of money or you spend a very little amount of money so you could actually save more money by having a reasonable salary in morocco with a very low cost of living versus a higher salary in the united states i have friends in california who make over one hundred thousand dollars per year but they don't save any money in fact they go into debt they don't own a home they don't own an apartment Uh, Because the cost of living is so high so When you're thinking about the future we think about opportunities For starting a business here in Morocco the fact that the, the cost of labor is relatively low the cost of living is relatively low even with the difficulties of regulations and employment and restrictions on finance for example payments the restrictions on the currency those are unique problems to Morocco but there are problems everywhere in fact uh, on the business in morocco podcast we interviewed uh karim janan who worked in france for for almost 10 years I've, i've seen that interview right and he thought about starting a business there but he realized that there's more opportunity here one of the great advantages that you can have to starting a business here in morocco and the reason that i'm optimistic is that you can look around the world and you can see the type of business that That have succeeded in the United States, in Asia, in Europe, and you can bring those ideas here to Morocco, and you can start them because they don't exist yet. Yeah. So, um,
0: okay. So, I'm going to mention a number of obstacles to economic growth, and I'd like you to uh, to tell me which ones are more relevant to the situation in Morocco. So, you have the infrastructure gap. You have human capital inadequacies, primary product dependency. Uh, Savings gaps, that's when the gross uh, national savings are not enough uh, for investment. Uh, Capital flight, corruption, labor migration, and brain drain. So I think the number one problem by far
1: is brain drain. If Moroccans who are highly educated and skilled and motivated continue to leave Morocco and go to places like Europe and Asia and the United States, then that will have a negative impact on the hopes and aspirations and economic growth here in Morocco. So I think that's probably the number one problem that needs to be addressed. And when you ask these people why do they leave, it's because they think it's a better situation in these other places. There's more opportunity. Maybe it's because there's less corruption, or there's more uh, financing available overseas, or The economies are more stable or it's easier to start a business. It's easier to hire people and fire people. I'll give you a a great example of a big difference between the state that I came from, Virginia, and Morocco. Virginia's unemployment rate is below 4% and there's something in Virginia called the right to work, meaning An employee can leave a job at any time for any reason and not give any notice. And a company can do that same thing, meaning they don't need a reason, they can just lay you off and tell you you're fired and you can go and get your your state and federal unemployment, but you're no longer an employee and you can be given your notice that day. And the effect of this is People may think, oh, that's bad for employees, right? You can just be fired at any time. Well, what people don't realize is that if companies know that if they hire someone and if it doesn't work out, they're not the right type of person, they don't have the right type of skills, they don't have the right attitude, they don't have the right work ethic, if the company knows that they can fire them, then they're more likely to hire. And as a result, you mentioned here in Morocco, the unemployment rate is 9%. Well, Virginia is 3%. And part of the reason is because companies are willing to take risks Mm -hmm. and hire people. That's that's definitely an issue here. Because they know that they can get rid of them. I have many uh, clients here in Morocco who tell me that they are terrified of hiring the wrong person. Yes. Because they know that if there's a problem, they can get sued. They can have problems getting rid of that employee. They have to pay them even when they're not there, when they're not working. So... As a result, people who who don't have good references or maybe they don't have a good relationship with the owner of the company or the manager, they don't get hired. And that's why Morocco has this reputation for corruption in not only the hiring process, but in contracts yeah. with yeah. subcontractors. Is because people will only do business with people they know, or they'll only hire somebody who is a family member or a friend, yeah. a personal recommendation, mm-hmm. and that has a negative impact on the perception of young people doing business in Morocco or staying
0: in Morocco and building their own companies. Great. This is this is really interesting. Uh, so let's let's go to immigration. Uh, we talked briefly about uh, immigration and brain drain. So i'm going to to tell you this i'm not sure if you if you have heard about it uh, and it's a survey done by recruits.com in 2018 2018 and it says that 91 percent of moroccan ba holders want to immigrate uh, another uh, uh, set of facts were mentioned by the famous Moroccan content creator, Mustafa Foucaq, known as Swink. I'm not sure if you know him, but he revealed some shocking facts and figures about a brain drain in Morocco. In a video he said that uh, around 600 Moroccan engineers go to Europe and, and, and North America, and that is the equivalent of the graduates of four engineering schools knowing that in Morocco we only have 13 engineering schools. He also mentioned another study uh, that was done in France, and it says that over 6,000 medical doctors in France are Moroccans. And in Morocco, in the public sector, we only have 3,000 medical doctors. So what do you think should happen in order to stop this? Well, I think that some of the
1: principles that the government has applied to places like Casa Finance City. Right. It's right over here near my yeah. office, yeah. Uh, the new Blanca Finance City. There are other economic free zones for some of these auto manufacturers and assembly uh, places where they get uh, preferential treatment when it comes to taxes, hiring uh, foreign employees, uh, regulations they should take those principles and they should just apply them to the economy as a whole. Instead of picking winners and losers, instead of picking certain companies and certain industries and certain places that will benefit from lower taxes and lower regulations, they should just change it for the whole economy and make the whole economy a more attractive place to do business. When the rules are not the same for everyone, Mm there is a perception that it's not fair. fair. It's it's who you know. If I know a special person in the government or I know a special person in a company, then I will benefit from that relationship. And it's not a uh, fair playing field. I have clients who tell me that they provide services for big companies. And what they tell me is that there's actually only a few number of companies that have a transparent system of buying products and services. And that other companies, it's corrupt, meaning they get their request for proposal, they review all the request for proposal, and then they go to their cousin or their friend and they tell them to create a company, produce a bid for that project, and go right Uh, under all the other bids, but with the same proposal. And when things like that happen, It doesn't take long for these engineers that you mentioned to think well why would i start a company in morocco if it's not going to be fair if i'm going to have to pay a lot of taxes and it's not going to be fair in terms of the uh, the contracts to government or the contracts to big companies
0: i might as well move to a place that has a better rule of law and more fairness okay okay so let's talk now about uh trade and specialization so, uh, free trade, uh, the concept of free t- trade came about uh, through the uh, 18th century British philosopher, or Irish or Scottish, I'm not sure. Uh, he said something like, uh, you know, a good household master is the one that would produce at home what would be uh, expensive to buy from elsewhere and th- do the opposite. Uh, Uh, buy from elsewhere what would be uh, expensive to produce at home and this leads us to a specialization Uh, and and That means that countries uh, Will do better if they specialize in certain industries where they have uh, comparative advantage So uh, my question for you Ryan is uh, if Morocco were to specialize in something What would it be something that that is currently disregarded in Morocco and uh, it would probably give uh, you know It represents an opportunity of economic growth and uh, employment opportunities so this is a very interesting question
1: I actually have a lot to say on the topic of trade I've been studying supply chain and just for a long time I think even two months ago my answer would have been slightly different because of the recent coronavirus 19 outbreak in China and now it's going all around the world and Two months ago I would have said the system is working fine, you have certain things produced in certain countries, whether it's raw goods or input goods that are shipped overseas and then the final assembly is done. For example, Renault imports parts here to Morocco and then they assemble the cars here and then they sell them here and then ship them around the world. However, Because of this coronavirus outbreak, I think what you're going to see in the next two months is the vulnerabilities of a global system that is reliant upon just-in-time logistics. When you have all these countries specializing in different things, and everyone becomes dependent on everyone else, when there's a disruption in the chain, in one area, for example, China, there are second and 3rd order effects that go to South Korea, Japan, now we're seeing impacts in Germany, in France, and it's going to have a ripple effect all the way through to the consumption of final good. And so I think what you're going to see in the next one to three months is you're going to see ruptures of stock. You're going to see shortages. You're going to see things completely sold out. Um, And this just-in-time global interconnectedness of the supply chain is going to cause a lot of problems. And so. When you ask me the question, what should Morocco specialize in? Well, my answer is... Well, the fact that Morocco has sort of been very measured in its internationalization and its globalization in terms of becoming reliant on imports and allowing the currency to float and being very interconnected with the rest of the world, I think what you're actually going to see is that Morocco is going to weather the storm, so to speak. Morocco is going to absorb the impacts of this virus much better than many other countries for several reasons. One, twice a year Morocco shuts down during Ramadan and August. Essentially, things come to a standstill or so used to that. So I think if this happens because of the virus, I think Morocco is actually going to deal with it better than other countries like in Europe or in the United States.
0: Mm. Especially it's coming when Ramadan is is coming too. Right. So it'll be natural to just kind of shut things down. Secondly, Morocco is
1: not an economy with just-in-time logistics. There are many countries in which they receive their stock of goods every week or two weeks and they sell out completely and they need to be replenished. Mm -hmm. This is uh, a very good example in China, the relationship between China and Japan for example. Toyota developed a system where the parts for their assembly of vehicles would arrive on one day and they would use those parts within the next 48 to 72 hours and they would need to be replaced. And the reason you do this is because inventory has a cost. Mm-hmm. And so if you can reduce the amount of inventory you're holding across the supply chain, you reduce you reduce your overall costs and you increase your profits.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, if there's a disrupt- disruption in the supply chain, that throws the whole system out of whack. Morocco is going to be stronger during a time of supply chain disruption because it does not rely on weekly supplies, or monthly supplies. For example, I'm sure everyone of our listeners knows this, when you go to Carrefour or Marjan, you will see a certain product, and you'll see a very large supply. And maybe a month later, there won't be any. Mm. It's because the supply chain in Morocco, many people will go overseas, they'll buy a very large quantity of something,
0: Mm. and
1: they'll import it into Morocco. And they'll sell it until it's gone. So, as a result, the stocks in Morocco, I think, are much higher for certain kinds of items. Additionally, the the basics are produced here in Morocco. Fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, milk. A lot of the very essential elements of life are produced here in Morocco. Mm -hmm. And as a result, the global supply chain is not going to have a negative impact on that. As opposed to other countries that don't produce a lot of their goods and services. They import everything. For example, uh, Japan imports a lot of stuff. It doesn't produce as much of its basic necessities. And it's going to have a very hard time if the supply chains continue to be disrupted. Now to answer your question, what should Morocco specialize in? I have a very specific answer for this. As many of your listeners may know, the united states has relied on china for a very long time for a lot of goods and there is a trade dispute between the united states and china right now however morocco has a trade agreement with the united states yes i was going to ask about that yes so my advice and my thoughts on this issue what should morocco specialize in the answer is to look At the disagreements between the United States and China find the products that have had tariffs imposed on them meaning the goods that were once exported from China to the United States but now are much more expensive because of tariffs see from that list of goods what can be produced in Morocco and
0: falls under the free trade agreement that is what I would invest in So uh, that that's interesting uh, uh, that you brought it up because I was going to ask you a question like that. So I'm sure uh, you heard that Morocco is now reviewing its free trade agreement with Turkey, and the minister of uh, industry says that it's because it's creating trade deficit. My question for you is: Do you think it would be more beneficial to stop the agreement, to walk out of it, or to do something in order to balance the deficit? So I'm not too familiar with the actual
1: agreement between Morocco and Turkey, but I will say this. When you have a free trade agreement like this between Morocco and Turkey, the reason that there are goods coming in from Turkey to Morocco is because there's demand. People want to buy them whether it's clothing or furniture or mattresses or other kinds of goods. For some reason, Turkey can produce those at a lower price than Morocco or other places and sell them here and there and people want them. They appreciate the qu- the quality versus the price. Now from my own mindset, I don't understand why Morocco can't produce clothing and furniture at a competitive rate versus Turkey. For me, it seems like there's, there's no reason that Morocco can't produce the same quality for a lower price because you don't have the shipping costs from Turkey to Morocco. Uh, I don't know whether it has to do with taxes or regulations or what it has to do with. Well, my my philosophical position is this. If it's fair, if it's a fair playing field, then there should be exchange of goods and services. This is what's mainly happening right now between the United States and China. There's a lot of fake news out there in terms of what the actual disagreement is. But this is what it's about. A lot of goods for the history of the trade agreement with China have come into the United States with little or no tax at all. But when American companies try to export things to China, they're either taxed heavily or they're disrupted in terms of entry into the country, or the
0: intellectual property is stolen but we're still talking about uh, the free trade agreements between Morocco and, and Turkey and uh, recently the, the Minister of Industry said uh, that uh, he talks about specifically about BIM and he said that wherever BIM goes uh, 60 merchants closed down I think he formulated it as a reason for for reviewing the, the free trade agreement do you think that's fair uh, no
1: i don't think it's fair i don't think it makes sense and i'm a bit confused by this statement from the minister and the and the problems that people have with bim and the reason that i say that is i go into bim and i see the same products in carrefour or marjan or these hanuts that are around and i did read the the reply from from bim saying that they buy roughly 85% of their products from Moroccan producers. And that makes sense to me because when I go into BIM, I see Moroccan products. Mm. And they said they only import about 15% of their products from Turkey. Um, I think what you might be having here is a little bit of uh, unfair competition. I don't know whether there are BIM competitors that are lobbying the government to shut down BIM because they don't like the competition. Yeah.
0: If, if that's the case, then that's the definition of corruption so you have a lot of people saying that on social media saying that the real reason why uh, you know Morocco is reviewing its its, uh, free trade agreements with Turkey is because uh, major companies in Morocco are being hurt uh, by that competition and they cite Marjan, they cite Asima, Carrefour, whatever. Uh, So you're saying that, you know, this kind of interventionist measures by the government to protect Moroccan companies is corruption. I think it's the definition of
1: corruption. And what Moroccan consumers need to understand is that when big Moroccan companies lobby the government to hurt their competition, The person who's actually getting hurt is the consumer because BIM offers products and services at a lower price and people buy them from BIM and not from the competition and if BIM gets shut down, what it means is that you're going to have to pay more for everything that you want to buy and you'll have a lower quality of life, you'll have a lower purchasing power. The second and third order effects of this is the global community the investment community is looking at the way that Morocco handles companies like them. Mm-hmm. when they decide am I going to invest in Morocco am I going to build a company there am I going to move my Africa headquarters to Morocco am I going to invest in plants and equipment and distribution they do risk analysis and if the way that Morocco handles BIM It's not going to just impact them. It's going to impact the investment decisions of many other companies. Because any smart CEO is not going to build a large company in Morocco if one day they're very successful. Their competition in Morocco is going to go to the government and the Moroccan government is going to shut them down. Mm. This is the reason that there may not be as much economic growth in Morocco as there could be because of the appearance of corruption and unfair competition.
0: And bringing value to the, the place where they work. Uh, Moroccans, on the other hand, and this is not a value judgment, this is a description of the reality. In Morocco, there is a prevalent narrative that says, why would I waste my time and energy and health for an employer and it's going to take all the profits and I'm going to be left with a meager salary or retirement. Can you give us an idea about how Americans see work so we can understand Mm -hmm. it truly? Yeah, let's start with that. So the, the cultures, the work cultures in
1: Morocco and the United States are very different. The United States is what is known as a meritocracy, meaning the American dream is described as it doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what your religion is, your race, your and en- your gender, your ethnicity. It doesn't matter where you grew up, where you went to school, who your parents were. There's no concept of royalty. There's no concept of status, mm-hmm. right? Family name doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the two best examples are Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos. Mm-hmm. They were both orphans, they were both adopted to become some of the most wealthy people ever, to found Apple and Amazon, two of the most successful companies that have ever existed. And they came from a a status of an orphan. So in the United States, there's this idea that if I work hard, if I'm disciplined, if I get educated, if I'm reliable, if I produce value consistently, I can succeed. There is an intrinsic motivation to do well, to perform, because in a lot of ways, my identity is linked to what I do in my work. Whereas here in Morocco, I think the identity is more linked to who is my family? Who are my friends? Where do I live? There's more of a social identity. In the United States, many people move away from their families. They they move to a new city where they don't know anyone. And that's where they start their life. Mm -hmm. And they work in a company and they move up and they build a life for themselves there. Because your identity is more based on what you do and where you work than it is on who your family is and where you come from. I think that's one of the big differences. And to me, that actually makes me optimistic about Morocco because of what you describe. This mentality, why would I go work for a company that's going to pay me under the table on the black market? That's going to pay me in cash? that is never going to give me a promotion or give me opportunities to move up in the world that's going to take advantage of me and then just uh, fire me or let me go when it's not right for them anymore well that's a valid concern but for me it's an opportunity so oh, okay because if i can produce a company that treats employees well that respects them that gives them responsibility and opportunity. Then I will have the best employees available in Morocco, and I will have a competitive advantage over everybody else. Mm. To me, the big thing that's missing in Morocco is excellent customer service,
0: mm. and it's also an, an opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, to encourage Moroccans to create their own businesses and work for themselves. Yes, Okay. Morocco, there is this. Uh, program that was launched recently, is called Intilaqa, and it's Arabic for uh, start program. It was uh, inaugurated by the king, and uh, there is a committee that was appointed by the king to oversee it. Uh, an amount of $800 million has been allocated to this program, and the objective is to encourage uh, young people to invest and, uh, oh, sorry, to sorry, to, to become entrepreneurs. Uh, you know I think it's unfair to judge uh, something before it starts but there has been a lot of similar programs since the 90s and they have all failed for me they haven't been you know obviously they haven't been able to address the real problems uh, some of which we have talked about in this uh, interview Uh, so for you what do you think is What do you think should happen in order for these kind of programs to uh, be successful? Well, I think the
1: program has good intentions, meaning they want to make capital more available to startup companies. They want to encourage investment. They want to encourage entrepreneurship and startups. So I think there are good intentions. However, I think that something like the Auto Entrepreneur Program is going to have a far more impact than, you know, this this financing program that you mentioned um, from the King. And the reason is because it's a baseline structural system that allows everyone to compete on the same level, and all of the rules apply to everyone the same way in the auto pro, entrepreneur program. Very low taxes, very easy to get started, uh, you can, you're not subject to the TVA. you uh, can work in three different categories of industries. You can issue factures that, that companies can deduct on their taxes. Mm-hmm. There are many advantages, and they apply to everyone, and it's stable, it's reliable. Mm-hmm. When you talk about programs that you mentioned, the reason it's necessary is because the system is failing in a different way. Meaning it's expensive to start a company. Uh, the ways that companies are funded are not adequate, meaning, let's say I am producing uh, I want to do a startup, a technology startup here in Morocco. For one reason or another, the investors that are here in Morocco, they will not give their money to start those companies. Why? Why won't they give the money to start those companies? No you have to answer that question yes. and if you can solve that question you're gonna have a much better long-term solution than just providing finances to new companies that the rest of the investing community has said no to mm-hmm. you're saying what I'm yeah, saying yeah,
0: yeah. There, how, how, how do you think uh, the government should encourage investors to invest in high-tech because you know we have talked about it before, and investors, there are a lot of investors out there that would give you money, uh, any uh, amount you want, but you just need to invest it in traditional kind of business models, like cafes, right. uh, and, you know, all sorts of stuff that uh, that everyone does, restaurants, and uh, what do you think should happen in order uh, for these investors to have their guarantee, uh, guarantees? Because after all, High-tech is not an important sector in Morocco, at least today. And uh, investors, you know, these are people that have worked hard for their money and they want to see their money, uh, you know, being used uh, in the right way and get return from it. If you want to encourage the technology sector in Morocco,
1: you make it very easy to hire and fire employees, meaning Moroccans or foreigners. You make it very easy to set up a company, meaning I don't have to hire a fiduciary. Mm. You make it as easy as signing up for the auto entrepreneur program. You make it apply to all of Morocco, the entire kingdom, not just this little piece of territory here or this little city here, Mm. the entire country, right? You set the taxes at a reasonable rate, like 10% for 10 years or 20 years. This is what they've done in Dubai. I have a friend in Dubai who set up a company, it took him two hours. He set up the company, he got a business license, he can now buy property, rent property, he can now hire people, and he did it in one afternoon. Wow! And the taxes were set at a very low rate for 10 years, and there's an option to extend it for 10 more years after that. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about Dubai or United Arab Emirates, there are a lot of companies who invested a lot of money in bringing their uh, their companies to those countries because of the employment and the tax regulations
0: I have a, um, a LinkedIn contact I, I forgot his name he's a business consultant uh, and he says uh, you know a lot of people ask me on social media I receive a lot of uh, questions from people on social media and they all asked me how should they how should we get the financing and he said he looked at the camera and said it's not about the financing it's about the project so uh, you know people think about it uh, as a as an opportunity for money and I read an article on his press and it cites an American economist who says that we the one of the things that we have to do in order to guarantee that this is not going to be like uh, those unsuccessful experiences is that we have to change the mentality financing is not money given to people and then they would think about something to do so uh, So they need to have a project, a viable business idea, before thinking about ways to finance it. But my question for you is, in its embryonic state, does startup need money? The most important thing is customers.
1: It's not money. I think what you're gonna see from these programs for financing, for startups, is that many of those companies are just gonna fail. Because if you have money, in the beginning, then you're probably not focusing on the right thing, which is customer acquisition, customer satisfaction. It's a relatively new phenomenon. This idea of financing. I need mean, you know startups and venture capital yeah. and and raising all of this money to build these um, companies. Funding. Yeah, most companies historically they've been self-financed, bootstrapped, meaning I worked. I saved up money, I start this company in my free time on nights and weekends, I build it up and when it's sustainable, when it has some traction, then I quit my job and I start working on that company full time. And that's usually the way that it's been done historically. Or I get friends and family members to invest in the project. But the way that you get people to invest is to show them some kind of traction, some kind of results. And so, you know, we talked about this the other night at the Entrepreneurs Club of Casablanca. How do I transition from my full-time job to being an entrepreneur? And the answer is, you talk to customers and you find 10 true believers, 10 ideal customers that are willing to pay you for your product or service and are very, very satisfied. And you refine the product and you refine the service and you make it better and you satisfy those customers. You get their referrals, and their testimonies, and their reviews, and you get their money, right? If they're willing to pay you, then you know you're on the right track. And so there are many ways to, to finance a business, but really the best way is through customer financing. To finance the business through customer money, to provide that product or service in the beginning in a way that is incredibly valuable to the end user, And then building your company up through that
0: okay another thing that is i think is really important uh uh, it's also based on my experience in entrepreneurship which is i'm convinced up to this point that uh, the business environment in morocco is extremely hostile to entrepreneurs when you're making your calls and people realize that you are an entrepreneur and you have just started They'll treat you way worse than what they would have treated you if you worked for an established company. What do you think should be done in order to change this mindset? You've mentioned a couple of things. What you're describing
1: is known as outbound sales, meaning you are cold calling or you're knocking on doors trying to get people who don't know you to buy from you, your product or service. This is difficult no matter who you are, no matter where you are in the world. And If you're an established brand, yes, it's going to be easier. If you are an unknown, it's going to be harder The solution going forward is a couple steps one you need to offer something that's unique Uniquely valuable if you're a brand new company and all you're doing is offering something that's already widely available on the market It's going to be very very hard for you They don't know you, you have no brand, and you're offering something that they can buy somewhere else. So that's going to be very hard for you. Second, you need to develop a strategy to produce inbound leads. As opposed to going out and asking people to buy your product or service, you create a reputation, a brand, that people become aware of, and then they come to you to buy your product or service. one of the best examples of this is my my co-host on the podcast Ryan Kirk who has a LinkedIn following, he has a YouTube channel, he has a blog. He's producing content. He has been producing content for many years and he shows the types of things that he's been doing, team retreats, group trainings, habits for success, and people have seen his content and his videos and they're contacting him to provide his product or service. This is what's known as inbound marketing. Mm -hmm. So if you are a startup, you need to focus on two things. How do I show the world that I'm an expert in this product or service, and how do I show them that what I'm offering them is uniquely valuable? And if you can do those two things successfully, then you have a very good chance at, at, at winning in the long run. However, if you can't prove that you're unique or special, and you can't communicate the value of your product or service
0: then you're not going to succeed yeah I think this is this is it for our uh, interview we have uh, tackled uh, a number of issues we might talk about them in depth in the next time sure uh, it's been very nice having you thank you very much for for your time it's my pleasure